This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 18 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Products. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Thoroughbred Makeover and New Vocations. Today, we are all about stories. Journalist and thoroughbred lover Eric Floyd joins us to tell us about his new book, Heaven's Premier Horse Race. Amateur owner gone blogger Abby Doran shares her honest experiences of being both a teacher and student when training her OTTB. And get ready to trick your significant other into letting you get another horse because New Vocations has a treat for you with our Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. So listen in. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. And this is not Jamie Jennings from Norman, Oklahoma. This is Coach Jen from California. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and this is Joy Hills from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Jen, welcome to the show. It's the first time we've had you on. This is fun. I have never done, I have never produced Retired Racehorse Radio. I've never been a guest on Retired Racehorse Radio. And I'm a retired racehorse nut. So I know. I think Glenn purposely kept you away, though, because he knew it was going to be dangerous if all three of us were together. Well, the show's liable to go long. No. (laughs) (laughs) Geeking out. Well, Jamie got stranded on her way back from Flag is Up Farms doing the Horse Sense and Healing Clinic. So I jumped in and was happy to hang out with Joy for a little while and talk all things retired racehorse. And we've got quite the lineup today, eh? We really do. It's all about authors in a way and writers. So I'm really excited for it because I was an English major and I love a good story. And I happen to have a ghost story about Del Mar Racetrack. So that'll (gasps) be kind of fun. How appropriate. This is our Halloween season show. I know. I know. I don't. I mean, I'm sure you know a ton about Del Mar. I have no doubt about that. But did you know it was haunted? I did not know it was haunted. And, you know, I don't know being a being a Yankee. In an East Coaster, I don't know that much about the California tracks, except that Del Mar gets high marks for being pretty. But then that's California. It does get high, gets high yeah, marks it does pretty. get high marks for being pretty, but it also gets high marks in being spooky, which is kind of fun. It's actually on a uh, like haunted trip tour in really? uh, the area. I know. So, I mean, it must be legit, right? Well, absolutely. If there's a tour for it, that means it's legit, right? No. So in 2015, Del Mar actually allowed a paranormal investigation group called South Coast Paranormal to conduct an investigation of the turf club in Grandstands after hours. And they they found some proof that there might be visitors beyond the grave at the track. (gasps) Are they going to be on the the Ghost Hunters TV show? I wish. I would watch that. I would totally. But yeah, they hear that there's like horse hooves that people hear at night and they can hear people like drinking and laughing in the different rooms. It's pretty neat. Were, yeah. They, was this a, was this an article that you had found or a, yes, I found it on America's best racing.net and it was written in 2017. And they said in 1985, the Del Mar grandstand was declared unsafe and underwent a series of renovations And the grandstand was built by Bing Cosby and Pat O'Brien in 1937 when safety codes were much more lax. 
When it was finally demolished and rebuilt in 1991, they believe the job may have awoken some spirits <gasps> that have been haunting the upper grandstand of Turf Club ever since. I know they hear voices, see strange apparitions moving through the hallway and even found cold spots that you can literally feel. I want to go to Del Mar. I know. So <laughs> if any of our listeners are in that area, I would love to find out if you've ever taken that haunted tour because I, I want to know if it's worth going. Absolutely. So that send us great. a message if you've gone. Maybe we'll get you on for our next episode. Now, now the sort of haunting I'm familiar with when it comes to horse facilities is the kind that you go to get your polo wraps out of your tack trunk and they've magically disappeared. That, yeah, that's happened. The polo wrap poltergeist. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a real or, thing. Or the... Or when you miss a glove and you, you only glove. have your left glove or have two left gloves. You have two left gloves. Absolutely. Or one of my favorites is that you could have sworn you cleaned your tack and when you come back a week later, it's it's dirty and you're really sure you cleaned it. But yeah, definitely. Those types of hauntings happen to all of us in the horse world. <laughs> but while we're really good at telling stories, Jen, I think it's best we bring Eric Floyd on. He's a journalist who's written for several publications, including the Southern Gaming and Destinations magazine, the Racing Journal, Casino Player magazine, the Horse Player magazine, and International Horse Racing Digest. But before we get to him, let's listen to our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. She swallowed hard as they walked into the start box. She could feel his muscles tense under her leg. Five, four, three, two, one. Have a great ride. She didn't have to ask. He galloped out of the box and across the field toward their first training level course. His ears pricked. Her heart pounded. He attacked each obstacle with confidence, clearing them with room to spare. A huge smile broke out on her face as she crossed through the finish flags. She leaned forward and buried her face in his neck. Their bond of love and trust blocked out all else. This love story is brought to you by Elevate. Research proven to have superior bioavailability. Elevate supplies the essential vitamin E often missing from the equine diet. Its all-natural formula supports healthy muscle and nerve functions. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, I just introduced them, but it's worth saying that along with being a turf rider for various gaming publications, Eric Floyd also regularly appears on radio to handicap both the Triple Crown Series and Breeders' Cup World Thoroughbred Championships. Eric, welcome to the show. Ladies, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be on Retired Racehorse Radio. I love the name, the alliteration. Who came up with that title? Don't tell it, because Glenn, our producer, did, and he doesn't need a bigger head than he already has. But I appreciate <laughs> so much that you said that. Like, we're so excited to be here, too. It's such a neat place to be. I mean, look at everything that you've done. You've worked for so many magazines. And how long have you been writing now? I really broke into turf riding about 2007. It was just a passion I had. And I, I think every inroad I've ever made in the thoroughbred racing world has really been through a cold call or a cold email. And I cold emailed a magazine called Southern Gaming and Destinations out of Louisville. And I sent them some work and I ended up writing their tip column from them for them, a thoroughbred racing tip column for their magazine for over a decade now. So I'm really blessed and happy to be part of their organization. Okay. And can you explain what a tip column is for some of our listeners who might not know? 
Yeah, I just take one aspect of thoroughbred handicapping, whatever that might be. It might be class, it might be pace, it might be workouts, it might be jockeys, weights, medications, and I'll focus in on that one topic and I'll write a tip column about how to maybe find an angle and try to find a winning horse with respect to that one area I'm writing the column on. Like a lot of handicappers, they'll put a lot of emphasis on weight. A lot of handicappers put a lot of emphasis on trainer, on jockey, and so forth and so on. So that's just how I go about writing those. Fascinating. It sounds like we're going to have to have you back maybe in the spring right before the derby to talk about betting secrets too. Oh, that's right up my alley right there. So. <laughs> But today we're talking about something a little bit different than what you've normally been doing. You just wrote a book. Yeah, the name of the novel I just put out a couple months ago, it's called Heaven's Premier Horse Race. Heaven's Premier Horse Racing. And it's such a fascinating looking book. Uh, When you approached me with it, the fact that it has so many of the greats in this fictional race coming together, I mean... Why it hit nostalgia for several generations? What made you think of this? To be honest with you, as much as I love every aspect about thoroughbred racing, the trainers, the jockeys, the pageantry, uh, the, the purses, the trophies, the blankets of flowers, my love of loves inside of thoroughbred racing is the Triple Crown series. And I had always sat around and I said, if we took all the triple crown winners, and at the time I started writing this book, there were only 11 triple crown winners, and that was before American Pharaoh and Justify came along, but I didn't want to start all the way over and rewrite the book, so I just ended up keeping it with a plot revolves around a race which features the first 11 triple crown champions, because like I said, when American Pharaoh came along, I didn't want to just rewrite the book, so I just continued on with it, but The Triple Crown series is my true love inside of thoroughbred racing. That is my wheelhouse. And I just sat around and I said, if all of these great horses, these Triple Crown winners faced off against each other on the strip, who would win? And I I thought it was such an interesting question to pose. You know, for you football fans out there, the analogy would be, you know, if the 70 Steelers faced off against the 80s 49ers, who would win? I kind of took that angle with it. So that was the idea behind it. And I had never seen it done anywhere. And I said, it needs to be done because even these old triple crown winners from, you know, the early 1900s, I felt like they needed their due, like they needed to be remembered, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I can think about sitting at, you know, Thanksgiving dinner because with my family, we're all horse people. So it wasn't arguing about religions or politics. It's arguing about tack and training (laughs) and all of that. And we would sit and wonder like, you know, would Secretariat beat Seattle Slough and, you know, who would win out of these races if they had that chance to go against each other in this? And I love the name that you created for the Eternity's Eminent Equine. Just there's so much majesty in that. And I think it really comes together for so many different age groups because you have people looking at, you know, what they grew up with back in the day. And then you have people who are seeing Justify and American Pharaoh and getting curious about the sport. Is this your first work of fiction then too? Yeah, I actually have another book out there and it's called The Backstretch, My First Decade Playing the Game. And that's kind of a comical book I wrote about 50 short stories, short gambling stories that I had experienced at racetracks and casinos. But this was really the first serious fiction work I did, even though it's kind of based in reality, because it took so much work to research these horses and the trainers and the connections and the jockeys. 
to be honest with you, and you're gonna, you won't believe me when I say this, this novel took me 11 years to write. So it was quite an undertaking. I can absolutely believe that just, and did you apply some of the, you know, the inside tricks and secrets, you know, of how to, how you would predict which type of horse could beat the other one in this? You know, obviously I'm not going to say who wins the race because that would give it away, but it was as I researched the horses and I'm just going to name the horses for the listeners out there because a lot of people might not know some of the lesser known triple crown champions, but the race in my book involved Sir Barton, Gallant Fox, Omaha, War Admiral, Count Fleet, Assault, Citation, Secretariat, Seattle Slough, and Affirmed. And out of those horses, when I was researching them and their lifetime performances and what they had accomplished, I will say that I thought there were only a handful of horses in there who could win the race. So it's not, I'm trying not to give too much away, but some of those horses, I didn't think if they lined up against the other 10, that they would legitimately have a shot unless the race fell apart. So I think the the horse I ended up letting win the race was a legitimate winner, if that makes sense. No, I think that's amazing that you can apply all of your knowledge from the real world and also come up with this, you know, this amazing fictional history that if it could happen, here's why it could happen. And that that takes talent and a lot of passion to do. It it was really a labor of love, let me tell you. I mean, it's just anybody who's out there who's ever written something like this, it it takes time and and you have to have patience because it was more like I crafted the book more than I wrote the book. It was a lot of time and a lot of rewrites, let me tell you. And so what I also love about this book is you're donating the profits from the book. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I do want to say, like I said, I said before, of all the layers in thoroughbred racing, and I love them all, what draws me to the sport is the equine athlete. And I know I'm the type of guest that you guys might not have on the show a lot. I know, you know, as I listen to the podcast, there's a lot of backup house people, and they're talking about care and, and, you know, bits and equipment and health and medications and grooming and all those things. And I know I'm kind of the guy that's on the apron with my nose in the racing form. But that doesn't take away a lot of us out there on the apron. And yeah, we're trying to win, you know, on the paramutual side of things. But that does not take away my passion for the equine athlete. I mean, I am just enamored with the equine athlete, especially the thoroughbred. And I love standard breads and the carts and the harness and the quarter horses that run. But it's the thoroughbred that really captures my imagination because they're just such a mythical animal. And so... You know, these animals are out there and they're just giving it everything they got, you know, whether it's for our entertainment or, or, you know, the paramutual side of things. And I just felt such a conviction to give something back to the sport I love so much. And so I just thought this was a great way to do it. I know retired racers come out of the sport and that, that can be an issue. You know, it's, it's tough to find homes. These animals are obviously expensive to take care of and whatnot. And not everybody can just adopt a racehorse. But I thought this was just one way I could give back to the sport I love. So the royalties from the book are all going toward thoroughbred aftercare programs. But specifically, the royalties from Amazon.com sales are being donated to the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Association funded Second Chances Farm at Lowell Correctional Institution in Ocala, Florida. Now, Loyal is the biggest woman's prison in America, and their farm houses about 50 ex-racehorses. And the inmates who qualify for the equine program there, they take care of the horses, they rehabilitate the horses, and in turn, 
these inmates, they learn new occupational skills that can help them after they're released. So it's a program that not only helps ex-racehorses, which is my passion, of course, and your passion as well, but there's also the human element. It's also helping rehabilitate humans as well. So that's why I picked it. I picked that particular cause. That is one of the most amazing, most remarkable things I've ever heard, Eric. I just want to, like, I'm sitting here with my jaw open. I'm like, wow, everyone needs to get this book for Christmas presents, like stocking that, stuffers. That, that begs the question, <laughs> Joy, for when you wrote this book, Eric, who is this for? Is obviously yeah. Joy and I will love it because A, we love racehorses, B, we love horses, and C, we love horses. But is this the <laughs> kind of book that someone who is a casual go to the track on holidays person who's going to love to read it because I'm kind of wrapping my head around yeah, how the story is going to for? unfold. Yeah, you know, it is like a, like you're correct. It is without a doubt it's a niche book, but at the same time I did write it in a way that's readable, that your casual race store, like somebody last year who hooked on to Justify, and they're like, oh my gosh, this horse is going to win the Triple Crown, and that made them a fan. They could appreciate this book. Your hardened handicapper that's been going to the racetrack for 80 years, they could appreciate this book. Your casual fan, anybody who appreciates horse racing on any level is going to get something out of this. And I, I just also say there are things I put in the book, all through the book, called interludes. And it kind of takes time to introduce these characters, these trainers, these jockeys, tell you their history, what they accomplished. And the horses, too. I give background on the horses, where they came from, what were they struggles. Like Gallant Fox, for instance, he was your second Triple Crown champion. He won it in 1930. And that year, the Preakness actually ran before the Kentucky Derby, one week before the Kentucky Derby. The traditional Triple Crown series outlay now is the Derby, two weeks, the Preakness, and three weeks in the Belmont. But that year, the Preakness ran, and then it was seven days later, the Derby ran, and then it was four weeks later, the Belmont ran. So the Triple Crown has gone through all kinds of configuration and redesigned since its inception. When Sir Barton won the Triple Crown in 1919, it wasn't even termed the Triple Crown. In fact, Sir Barton won the Kentucky Derby and then ran in the Preakness four days later. I mean, that's unheard of these days. So the Triple Crown has had quite a journey into the setup it has now. It didn't always look as it looks now is the point I'm trying to make. So when you fascinated with how you came about writing all of this, so when the race unfolds, I'm guess I'm guessing that's the climax of the book of the story. When this race unfolds, are the jockeys that actually rode these horses in the races yes. on them? Yes, like yes, like Ron Turcott is is healthy. You know, we all know Ron Turcott had that terrible spill and is in a wheelchair. But in in this race, which is you know, it's the uh, setting is, and I, I want to do give a little bit of the detail about where I put the race and the track and everything. But he's healthy; he's one hundred percent, and he rides Secretariat. Steve Coffin, the kid, the famous jockey, he rides the firm. John Cruget rides Seattle Slough, and so forth. And so I kept it right. And the trainers are all the same. Like Lucian Lauren, he trains Secretariat. Penny Chenery is in the book. You know, the owner of Secretariat. All the connections and. All the jockeys and the grooms, it's all historically correct. So what track did they run, do they run at? Are you allowed to, can you tell us? Can you tell yeah, it's just like, I'm going to just uh, say a little bit here about the plot of the book moving on from it's these 11 horses facing off. 
the race takes place inside of what I can best say is a heavenly version of a track called Jerome Park Racetrack. Now, Jerome Park was open in what is now the Bronx, New York, in 1866 by a famous financier and horse racing enthusiast named Leonard Jerome. And Leonard Jerome was a really interesting character. They called him the King of Wall Street because he won and lost fortune and fortunes and millions of dollars on the New York Stock Exchange. And Leonard Jerome was also Winston Churchill's maternal grandfather. He's a really interesting character if you ever want to Wikipedia him. So he built this racetrack in the Bronx back in 1866 because he was a huge thoroughbred racing fan. And in real life, Leonard Jerome was very close to a man who was a New York politician named August Belmont. Now, Belmont also loved horse racing, and he was actually the very first president of an organization called the National Jockey Club. And that was just an organization in the Northeast United States in the uh, late 1800s that dedicated themselves to the improvement of thoroughbred racing. Now, Jerome and Belmont were very close friends, and because Jerome wanted to honor his good friend with regards to all his efforts he had with the jockey club, he named Jerome Park Marquis Race after his best friend. He called it the Belmont Stakes. And the first Belmont Stakes was held at Jerome Park in 1867. Now, the Belmont is the oldest of the Triple Crown races. It's, it's older than the Preakness Stakes, and it's older than the Kentucky Derby. So you could technically say, because the Belmont is the oldest of the Triple Crown races, and it was first run at Jerome Park in 1867, that Jerome Park is technically, in a way, kind of the birthplace of this entire Triple Crown series. And that's why I picked this track for the backdrop of the book. I mean, what better place to have a race with Thoroughbred Racing's first 11 Triple Crown champions than the Oval, which first hosted the oldest uh, leg of the Triple Crown series? I hope that wasn't too much to follow, but I, I just wanted to give a little bit of background about the track that the, the, the race is run at. Well, I think if anything, it just shows how passionate you are and how much research you put into this. There is no detail spared at all. That, that tells me it's going to be a great story. Where can people purchase this? Um, the easiest place is just Amazon.com, and you just plug in Heaven's Premier Horse Race. And uh, it's $14.99 hardback, but it's also available on Kindle for, that you can download to tablet, Kindle Reader, your phone for $4.99. Perfect. It's a perfect stocking stuffer, guys. I know I'm going to be buying like four. Thank you so much, Eric, for coming on today and for sharing the story. And we can't wait to read it. Thank you guys so much. I really, we have the same passion, even though we're kind of on opposite sides of the apron. I appreciate what you're doing very, very much. And just all of the best of luck to you moving forward. Oh, thanks so much. And we'll get you again soon to talk about betting. Anytime, anytime. I'm here. Oh, Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Bye-bye. Cashel Company helps you enjoy the ride with their full line of trail bags and tush cushions. From cantle bags to horn bags and everything in between, comfort and convenience on the trail is what Cashel does best. To stay up to date with the latest products and news, follow Cashel Company on Facebook and Instagram. And to find their products, visit an authorized dealer or visit CashelCompany.com. Well, I have Abby Doran with us on the line. She's an adult amateur rider who, just like the rest of us, is learning how to balance life's responsibilities and her passion for horses. Abby, you have a fantastic blog called the OTTV Digest, and I'm excited to learn about your growing partnership with your horse, Gizmo. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you very much for having me. So you started this blog because you decided to get an off-the-track racehorse. What made you decide that? What what drew you to the off-the-track thoroughbred? Honestly, it was not something I decided. It kind of fell into my lap. I was looking for nothing under the age of like nine or 10. And I was looking for something that was going to be a little bit less of a project. But somebody told me about him and I don't know what it was about him when they told me, but I knew he was the one right away. So it kind of just happened that way. How do you know it's just the one? We, I think we all have that moment when we find that heart horse, but I always love to hear like, what, what was the moment? The moment I knew was actually right after I'd finished my, my trial, like ride on him. I went to go see him for the day, rode him. And we were all sitting on this little platform by the ring, kind of talking about him, the seller and um, my friend and I were talking about him. And as we were sitting on the platform, he was standing in front of me and he just laid his head in my lap for 30 minutes while we spoke. And then he bit my thigh. So <laughs> I thought this this is the one. He has to be the one for me. It's too funny. I mean, yeah, thigh bites. It's That's a sign of love, right, Jen? I oh, yeah. I say <laughs> love bites. Duh. It's such a gelding thing. It's such a gelding thing. But you know it what? Is, it is. I love those moments, too. They're the memorable moments. And were, so you weren't expecting to get a project horse. Have you had project horses before? Is this something that's in your comfort zone? It is way outside of my comfort zone. Um, for the majority of my my riding career, if I can even use that word, um, I was riding school horses and school ponies and all the random horses that came in that nobody else wanted to ride just because I had my lessons for free as a kid. I worked for them. So I got everything everybody else didn't want. So having something that is pretty much has no miles on it was really, really new to me. And it's been really difficult, but I don't think I would trade it for anything else. I love, I, I feel the same way when I got my off the track thoroughbred, it was definitely out of my comfort zone on a whole new level. I've had horses with slight behavioral issues like quirks but never something that was kind of completely restarting. And he was a four-year-old when you got him, right? He had just turned four when I got him, yes. Just turned four. And I love the article you just wrote was being the teacher and the student. Tell us what was the inspiration for that? What lesson did you kind of come to when writing this? That day, or it might have been the day before, I had a particularly difficult lesson with my dressage trainer and I have known nothing of dressage until I met her a couple years ago on a, on a lease horse. And she's just the greatest. I'm so grateful for her. I have to put that out there, but I had a particularly difficult lesson on gizmo and, you know, I was really, really frustrated. And she told me, she's like, you came into this the most difficult way possible you're being the teacher and the student at the same time and that's really hard and as soon as she said it I just thought that's exactly what this is and I wonder how many other people have this same exact experience but they don't they don't really voice that or talk about it because it is it's really um 
it's sometimes really embarrassing because you see so many people kind of just take in off the tracks and they seem like they do so much so quickly because they know what they're doing that I feel like the rest of us don't really get to talk about what it's like. I can feel that for sure. I mean, I've been sitting watching all the retired racehorse photos and you, you wrote another blog too about transparency and you always see the positive things, but you don't always see the struggles um, on social media, which can be kind of hard when you're training a horse. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I'm definitely no stranger to comparison. I do it like the rest of us do. Um, I think that's a really hard thing to admit, but I think that's kind of the first step in realizing that it's okay to compare yourself to other people, but also while you're doing that, you have to realize that everyone's journey is different. We all go through things differently. And I think everyone should be a lot more open about their, their struggles. It's so much, it's like a weight is lifted when you get to share it. I feel like. Amazing. And what would you say are your, the biggest struggles you had with Gizmo or maybe still are having? Uh, the biggest struggle, I think we came out of a particularly bad boarding situation at the beginning of the year, February, actually, he wasn't being well taken care of. And he kind of just his health went downhill pretty much overnight. And, you know, uncharacteristically of a thoroughbred, he's not a very hard keeper. So it was really kind of shocking for me to see him go downhill so fast. And we got him out of that facility into somewhere new and he it's like overnight he had this like a light switch and he was awful like he was so aggressive and dominant and just didn't want to do anything and he was really mean about it and I had a trainer work with him for a couple months and because I just I couldn't do it it was dangerous and I, it was, it was literally like going back to square one after being with him for like nine months. And we started from the ground, did a lot of groundwork. And that was really scary because I'm not an assertive person by nature. So for someone to tell me that I had to stand up to something that's 10 times my size, that was really hard. And I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I actually started shopping around for other horses and I was going to put an ad up for him. Cause I didn't think I was the best home for him at that point. Um, but we made it through that. And sometimes we, we still struggle with some attitude problems here and there, but it's pretty easy to shut him down <laughs> now that, okay. now that we have and, that, you know, he's still there. a young horse too. And so I'm going to ask you at the reverse question, what has been some of the most rewarding experiences of taking it off the track? I think, just the the bond I have with him is so unlike any other like animal I've had in my life like I've had dogs and, and stuff like that my whole life and I've never felt so so connected to something else this is even like including people I think I've never felt such a connection with another like living being and it wasn't always like that and he made me work to have this relationship with him. And so I'm really appreciative of it. And that's been the most rewarding thing is having that closeness. I love that story. And I can, I can definitely sympathize and empathize and we've all been there. All of us who maybe got our first off the track thoroughbreds have 
all been there. I'm sure, Jen, when you got your first one, you have stories. <laughs> well, there, there, that, I like how you said that. It's, it's whenever you get your first OTTB, there is definitely a, a learning curve. You get to know yourself better. Mm-hmm. And they, they force that on yeah, you just definitely. a little bit. Sometimes it's a difficult <laughs> journey for the human emotionally. Um, but I think if you can soldier through that initial learn about myself, my strengths, and areas where I need to work, if you can work that out, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the, those things that were insurmountable previously went, oh, maybe we could work through this because you recognize where you're coming from too. And later on, you'll probably discover, as most people do, that you've discovered who you are. You are better at discovering who the horse is. It's it's all very much an internal journey that way. And it's kind of cool that you're getting to do that. I'm, that's, I'm excited for you. And sharing it with us, like people can follow the story as well. And if people want to find your blog, where can they do that? Pretty much at this time, just through just through my Instagram or whoever else has been kind enough to promote it just out of their own free will. So that's pretty much the only platform I have for it now. And the website, obviously. So I guess if you were to Google it or something, you might be able to find it that way. Okay. So you guys can follow the OTTB Digest on Instagram or just type it in in Google. And you guys can follow Abby and Gizmo's journey. And Abby, thank you so much for sharing it with us today, too, because I know a lot of our listeners are either going through it or have gone through it. And we just really appreciate you sharing the story with us. Yeah, thank you so much again for having me. I really appreciate it. And from the back of the pack on the outside, commanding curve is taken second. But California Chrome shines right in the Kentucky Derby. And now it's time for the New Vocations Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. Well, Leandra, welcome back to our show where we're going to talk about a Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome. We have Broadway Mm -hmm. Bandit today. Tell us about him. Well, Broadway Bandit has remained a really consistent, good citizen at our barn from the first day he ever stepped foot on our premise. He is a sweetheart through and through. There's not a bad bone in his body, and he has really proven himself under saddle to be a horse that could go in any one of many different directions. So I've had a whole lot of fun playing with him. When he first came, he had minor tendon injury, which our vet gave a quote unquote excellent prognosis. It's not just me saying it. He was given an excellent prognosis for athletic endeavors. And he has just showed that with each incremental step of activity that we've thrown at him he has excelled and now he is really something to watch and definitely something to ride to he carries himself really nicely in a natural self-carriage but will also come back to you and kind of frame up and goes off your leg and so he's really fun to have around the barn but he also has really neat lineage as well so he, his sire is Midnight Loot, and he, he's kind of a favorite in this area. That's one of those names where if you know it, you know it for only massively positive affluence. 
And then if you dig back a little bit more, you've got Giants Causeway, Quiet American, Fafiano, Secretariat. I mean, this horse is meant to be a sport horse. I just love how fact, like, he is a big old chunk. And I like a nice horse under me. Like, I want a cinnamon roll of a horse under me. Absolutely. I just, especially this time of year, that's a fantastic Oh, yeah. And he's an easy keeper. And, you know, how many recently off the track servers can you say that about? That's not exactly their stereotype, but he certainly would convince anyone otherwise. So at 16 hands, you don't have any massively tall horse, but he takes up a whole lot of leg. So for people who are concerned about fit, he's going to fit a big person, a tall person. Um, You can He's nice enough you could throw a shorter or a younger rider on him. I mean, he, he really could go in so many different directions. And he has such a soft eye. Like, that's what I look for the most in a horse is what does the eye say? And you can tell oh, he's just a cool, cool dude. And he's currently going for $1,000. He's at the Lexington, Kentucky range. And can I just say, I love that his bar name is Phantom. Like, it's just playing to the spooky <laughs> kind of Halloween episode we're doing right now. Makes Certainly. Me so happy. I know we're, we do love our musicals too. So this is Phantom of the Opera inspired, but definitely seasonally appropriate as well. I love it. Well, let's hope that he gets picked up as someone's Halloween treat too. So if anyone would like Certainly. to look at Broadway Bandit, you could go to horseadoption.com or check out any of the other amazing thoroughbreds and standard breads available. Leandra, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. You can find our show notes and links to today's guest on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. Jamie's email is jamie at horseradionetwork.com. And we have Jen on too. And Jen can be found at jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. That's where you send your complaints. (laughs) (laughs) The complaint department is at jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. That's right. Enjoy. She can be found at joy at horseradionetwork.com. Do you see a trend? Sort of a there, there's a little bit of a pattern here, pattern. isn't there? And, <laughs> yeah. and you're you're the only modern person here on Instagram, and you are you, at Joy Equestrian, of course. That I am. <laughs> and thank you ever so much to Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Products for helping to make this show possible. Don't forget to check out all of the other shows on the Horse Radio Network. Just go to horseradionetwork.com. You'll find them all there. Or you can go to your app store on your phone, search Horse Radio Network, download the app, and choose which shows you want to listen to, or just hit the all button, and you can just totally geek out on horses. And it's free. And it's, free. it's a no-brainer. Don't forget, guys, to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And as I will do this for Jamie, because it is important, spray, neuter, and gild. Bye, guys. <laughs>